All right, an idiot and an expert podcast, episode two. Uh, we are not together. Uh, this is Calcio Joe We're here with uh, Claudio Perfetto. Um, due to the unforeseen circumstances uh, in New York in the snowstorm, we were recording separately. Uh, so, Claude, can you hear me? Or are you all right? I'm good. I hope you're all right. It's pretty rough out there, yeah. so we couldn't get together, but... We're still uh, we're putting a show together for the listeners. Yeah. It's all about the listeners. Exactly. So we apologize for, uh, for some of the sound quality, but again, we can't get to the studio today because of the snowstorm. Um, we want to, again, keeping before we start, uh, Claudio's uh, Twitter handle, at CProfetto11, mine, at CalchoJo5, uh, and most importantly, our uh, Twitter handle for the podcast, at IdiotExpertPod. Um, and obviously you're listening on either iTunes, Anchor, or Cloud Sports TK. Uh, so we would really, really appreciate if you would rate, uh, subscribe, uh, download, review on iTunes, um, and keep those good flows going. Now that we're done with the housekeeping, let's get into, uh, the topics at hand. Uh, we start on a somber note, um, and we'll, we'll do this rather quickly. Um, a, a sad passing in the Italian uh, soccer world this past weekend. Uh, David Astori uh, passed uh, Fiorentina's captain. Uh, now, for a casual fan like myself, Claude, um, what does this player mean to the country of Italy and to the team of Fiorentina? Yeah, he was a well-respected player. Um, I remember him. He was part of uh, Milan's Primavera, which is their youth system. Um, and he went to play for Cagliari, which is a team in Sardinia, a Serie A team. Um, and then his coach at Cagliari was Max Allegri, who coaches Juventus now. But he left Cagliari at the time to come coach Milan. And there was a lot of talk of uh, Milan signing Astori. And I was pretty excited about it at the time because he's a very solid defender. He's not at the level of a Benucci or, uh, or Chiellini. And, you know, I don't really want to get into specifics, but um, he was, he was very good. You know, he was very solid. He, he had a few appearances for Italy um, and he also always performed well. And apparently um, from all the feedback and all the messages that you've seen in the past few days, he was a very well-respected and liked man, which is probably the most important thing, even more important than his football and quality. So it's obviously very sad. Um, you know, my condolences go to his family um, and Absolutely. his teammates. And um, yeah, I mean, have you heard of him before this happened? Did you know um, anything I, about I him? I was familiar that he had played on the national team. I, I know that he had scored a goal uh, in one of the national games. Um, but again, he's, uh, he's, you know, not one of the, like you said, more, uh, household names as a Benucci or a Chiellini or a Barzali. Um, so for a novice fan, um, obviously, you know, it's, it's shocking. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the Sunday games were postponed. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of a sense of the type of person, uh, and the type of shock that comes from something like this. Um, and obviously all the, the nice words that were said by all the, uh, the Italian, uh, soccer players, um, and even, you know, moments of silence before the champions league games. And I think even the Europa uh, league games that are coming up are, are yeah, going to have a moment sure. of silence, uh, beforehand. Um, and you know, one of the first things when, you know, 
uh, we texted about it. And the first thing that I thought of was, uh, you know, a, a, a captain uh, in American sports that kind of a similar situation was Thurman Munson, who passed um, in a tragic plane, plane crash for the Yankees. And he was their captain. Um, there's obviously, you know, uh, they came back, they had the wake at uh, the, uh, the funeral. Um, and then they end up playing that night and Bobby Mercer ends up hitting, uh, having the game winning hit. Um, and it was obviously an extremely, extremely emotional, uh, moment. And I'm sure the first game that Fiorentina plays is going to be extremely, extremely emotional as well. Yeah. And even today, you know, you, with Juventus, he obviously didn't play on Juventus, but, um, uh, the Italians on the team, um, they know him well from the national team and just being around in, in Italy. And, um, you know, after the game, Chiellini actually said, you know, it was hard for us to, to focus, you know, still with that in the back of our mind. But, you know, they wanted to honor him in the best way possible, which was to go out and win and, and advance to the next round. So, um, yeah, he was a captain, you know, and that's pretty much all you need to know. It's not hard. It's not easy to be a captain in professional sports. Um, so it just says a lot about him as a player and the person to, to reach that level. Absolutely. Great point on that. And you mentioned uh, the Champions League uh, results uh, that happened just hours ago. And we'll, we'll lead off with that. Um, Juventus uh, stunning Tottenham. Uh, from the Premier League, uh, a 2-1 victory. Um, and I say stunning because Tottenham took a early one nothing lead. Um, and then in a matter of five minutes, they scored two goals. Um, and, you know, we talked about this uh, last week, Claude, uh, the similarities between uh, Juventus uh, and in American sports, the Patriots. The Patriots are never out of a game. Um, they're not dead until the final whistle is blown. Um, and I think Juventus... Uh, has similar characteristics. Yeah, it's they're up there now with, um, for me at least, with the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids of um, European uh, soccer, where you can never count them out. Um, they just they're one of the uh, elite teams, and they just seem to always find the way. That that game in particular, uh, they looked dead. You know, after sixty minutes, Tottenham yeah, was just dominating really... the game, and all of a sudden. You know, that first goal just completely turned everything around and then they were able to get the second goal quickly. And from there, it was like, OK, you know, we're Juventus. Now let's lock this down and, and get out of here. And and that's exactly what they did. You well, know, Tottenham really had nothing after you know, that. And I, so. I, I want to ask for the novice fan because I saw on Twitter, you know, there was a lot of mention of how this was not a good matchup. Uh, for Juventus, uh, Tottenham was, that is. Um, and you saw that in the first half. I mean, you don't have to be a soccer expert. Um, you can even be an idiot like myself. Um, and <laughs> you, you know sports. Sports are sports. When a team looks faster, um, you, can, you can tell that. Um, and Tottenham definitely in the first half definitely seemed that way. Yeah, and even in the first leg. You know, Juventus in the first leg, the first uh, fixture, they went up 2 nothing within the first 10 minutes and, and Tottenham got right back into the game and, and caused them so many problems. And it continued today for the first 60 minutes. Um, they're just, they were in a good matchup for them. They're, they're very fast. And, you know, Juventus's defense, as good as they are, Chiellini and Barzali, they're, they're not the quickest people. So um, that definitely caused them a lot of problems. Uh, you know, Allegri made a couple of substitutes, which, were you know very helpful they they induced a lot of uh speed into the lineup which was great and they were able to get those two quick goals and then once 
Juventus didn't need to score anymore. It was just a completely different game. You know, now they could sit back and just be compact and and close the game. And that's really what you saw there um, after they took the the 2-1 lead. And it was it was a great game. You know, it was a great display yeah. from both teams. And, and Tottenham, ha- you know, hats off to them because they played really well too. And it's a shame to see them go out. But, uh, you know, it was a typical Juventus performance for the last uh, 30, 30 minutes of that game. And what, what I found the most interesting, you know, from a, an outsider's perspective um, was the, the juxtaposition between uh, Juventus needing to score a goal. Because going into the game, it was a, you know, 2-2 on aggregate. And if the game ended 0-0, right, um, Tottenham would have moved forward. Yep. Um, so Juventus need to start the game needing to score a goal. Uh, Tottenham scores a goal. So now they need to score two goals Um, and just the difference in style and uh, you know, how they are, they ran the team uh, was really, really interesting. I, I, I told you, I I thought the worst thing to happen to Ventus was that they needed to score a goal. Um, They would have been been fine if they, you know, if they, if they could have just kept the game, uh, you know, zero, zero the entire time. Um, But uh, Iguain stepped up. Um, and Dabala with another clutch goal, and we'll get into his first clutch goal on Saturday uh, in a few minutes. Um, but you know, they just seem like a team that they seem like a team of destiny. Quite frankly, yeah. um, I mean, Buffon. Um, you know, if if this is his last uh, rodeo, um, you know, he's, they certainly didn't want him to go out in the round of sixteen. No, definitely not. And I think going into it. You know, people probably thought they were the favorites because, you know, they've been to two finals in three years and and Tottenham really hasn't um, done that great in the Champions League. So, you know, they they were viewed as the favorites and it would have been it wouldn't it wouldn't have been fulfilling. Let's just put it that way. If you lose in the quarterfinals, finals or the semifinals to, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, you know, that's a different story. But I think they would have been very disappointed to go home today. Um, and good for them that they were able to turn it around and, and they're still alive. They're going to need to play much better, though, no matter who they draw against in the next uh, in the next round. But um, they're still in it and they did what they needed to do to, to survive. And that's the name of the game right now. Yeah. So for the Serie A fan, for the Italian football fan who went to uh, moves forward. Roma still in the competition, but uh, but we'll find out more um, as the weeks progress because they still have to play their second leg. Um, the other yeah. interesting uh, Champions League matchup, uh, PSG uh, versus Real Madrid. Uh, we talked about PSG last week not having Neymar and what they were going to do in this game. Um, they fell short. Uh, they lost two to one. They lost five to two on aggregate. Um, some interesting items about this. And I, I saw, um, on Twitter, uh, and again, you know, I, I don't know what I don't know. Um, it seemed like, uh, people were rather upset with, uh, Marco Verratti. Um, obviously he got a red card and he got taken <laughs> yeah. out of the game. But, uh, from my understanding is he's a world-class talent and people really were saying for like the past two or three years, he's not been that great. Yeah, he hasn't gotten better. That's the problem with him. He's uh, He was a great um, youngster, a great talented young player. He was signed by PSG. He got off to a really good start there with his career. Um, but the past few years, he just has not 
been he hasn't gotten better. He hasn't developed, and you could see it both for PSG and for the Italian national team. He just really he he's not reaching that next level. So he's really I wouldn't consider him world class yet, just for that reason. You know, I, I, he's a very good player, but he's definitely not a world class player, and he just picks up too many yellow and red cards. He's undisciplined. You know, you have to know. In that situation, too, um, for anybody who watched the game, I don't, I don't want to get into too much detail, but he picked up his, a second yellow card because he thought he was fouled. He ran after the referee, and the referee gave him a second yellow card for discipline, which it's one thing if you're trying to stop a counterattack that you know is going to be a goal or, or something of that nature to pick up your second yellow card. But to pick it up for discipline in that situation when your team um, has to score – to get back into the game is just, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not acceptable at that level. Yeah, it's not, a, not a smart move. And I, and right. you know, you mentioned the cards and I want to get to the cards because I mentioned on Twitter how, uh, how I would love to see um, these cards, this card system or, or, or these type of referees in the NBA. Um, but just let's quickly for, for the fan that does not know that much, um, this is a big loss for PSG. This is a, a letdown, um, being as though they spent so much money during the transfer season. Yeah, it is. Um, they signed Neymar, which is the most expensive player in, uh, in history. And um, they also signed Kylian Mbappe, who last year from Monaco brought Monaco all the way to the semifinal and actually helped Monaco beat PSG in the French League to the title. So they spent, you know, over 400 million um, euros uh, on two players in the summer and they want to win the Champions League. That's their goal. That's, you know, they've won the French League a bunch of times. That's, you know, not nothing crazy for them anymore. Now their goal is the Champions League. And look, let's be fair. They, they drew Real Madrid in, in the round of 16, which is a tough draw. Yeah. You know, they probably, so never let me, thought let me ask you a question. Cause, cause I was thinking about this. Um, how do the draws work? Um, is it ping pong balls or is it like, because in my mind, I was thinking something that would be better. Well, I, first you tell me, what is the system? So the system is for this particular round, um, the system is based off of the group stage. So the group stages, there's um, eight groups of four teams. Um, they play each other twice. Each team plays their group, uh, the other teams in that group twice. And then the top two teams from each group move on to the round of 16, which is what's going on now. Um, so the way they, they're drawn up at this level, at this round is the first place teams from each group get basically bracketed onto one side. And then the second place teams get thrown in on the other side and they draw the first place teams with the second place teams. But there's some gotcha. restrictions like the two, like at this level, at this stage, um, two Italian teams wouldn't be able to play each other. Two English teams wouldn't be able to play each other. They can't play each other till later on. So there's, there's some uh, restrictions, but what do they, they recede? Do they like move, they move the pieces yeah, around? Yeah, they'll 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 receive they'll draw again um, after the round of sixteen is over next week next Friday they'll they'll draw for the quarterfinals. But so what happened this year is um, Real Madrid 
was in the same group as Tottenham, and Tottenham had a great group stage. So Tottenham actually finished first place in that group, and Real Madrid got thrown into you know the second place teams, which was unlucky for uh, PSG because PSG finished first in their group, and um, you know they they just got drawn against Real Madrid, which it's a tough draw. But you know, look, they want to win the Champions League, and if you want to win it you're going to have to beat these teams eventually, right? So you might yeah, as well absolutely. start in the round around the 16. Um, but, yeah, it's very disappointing. You know, a lot of people after the game, um, they made notice of how PSG has a lot of individual talent, but they're not a team. You know, they're just, they don't really play as a team. They're not very compact. They, they give up a lot of space. So that's their biggest uh, downfall. If you look at a Real Madrid or a Barcelona, even though there's a ton of individual talent on those teams, they still play as a team. And that's why PSG was just no match at all for, um, for Real Madrid uh, yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And, you know, the reason why I was mentioning that is because I was thinking, you know, something that might be a little bit more interesting is if when they reseed, uh, they kind of rank it, you know, give them seeds like the NCAA tournament. So the one would play the 16 um, because to me, it just doesn't seem right for uh, PSG to be facing Real Madrid and then Man City to be playing the team named Basel. <laughs> but from... they lost. <laughs> they well, actually they did lost, lose, but yeah. they, but they, but they yeah, moved no. forward, right? Yeah. Cause it was, they won it was the a first game, game by yeah. like five. So, yeah. So I just, I, just to me, that seems a little bit unfair, but you know, who am I? Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. But the, you know, the, the issue is, um, it's going to be tough no matter what, because when you get to the round, the 16 of the champions league, there's very, very few teams that you would think are like easy, quote unquote, easy to play. Gotcha. You know, yeah, but yeah, I understand that, but it, it does, you know, it does, um, happen. And like, for example, you know, Roma, as strong as they are in Italy, they're not a great Champions League team, and they're playing Shakhtar, which is another team that's not a, not very talented, you know, in in terms of Champions League, and um, you know they're playing each other. Whereas I'm sure PSG would have rather played one of them in this round, you know. So it could be Absolutely. a little smoother, but you know, it, it, it's but the I mean, system I, that they go with. I think you made the best point in the beginning, where you say. At, at some point, you have to beat these teams anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, so, I mean, if, if you're going to be the champion, you're going to have to go through all these teams anyway. So it, you might as well get them out of the way in the beginning. Right. Um, and so I want to shift gears a little bit here because uh, you had mentioned um, the yellow card and red card situation. It was something that I noted over the weekend before we get into Syria. Ah, um, let me tell you, for someone that has not watched uh, – a ton of soccer growing up um, and is now being a little bit more immersed into the sport. Um, these referees went flying the NBA. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Um, first off, they, when, when they want to give someone a card, they basically call the person over, they scold them and yep. then they, they, and then they raise the card over their head um, in a sign of shame. Uh, I can't see an NBA referee doing that. To LeBron James or to uh, to Kevin Durant or to Steph Curry uh, or to any of the NBA stars, uh, the Kevin Lowe, anyone, anyone in the NBA, I just cannot see that. Yeah, well, you know what? 
it happens to to Ronaldo and Messi and the top players in in soccer. So I mean, I guess it's the system. You know, the NBA players would be shocked to have that instilled at this point. So that's probably why they wouldn't be able to accept it. I mean, NBA has, they have they've tried. You know, yeah. In the past few years, they're giving out technicals much easier. You know, than than they used to. You yeah, know, I mean, when, they, up, so that, when they, they first had the uh, the suspension system, I, uh, what's his um, yeah. Was it Kendrick Perkins? Some someone yeah. uh, someone had so many technicals. I mean, oh, Demarcus Cousins ended up getting yeah, suspended. Yeah, it was Cousins. Uh, yeah, immediate, like immediately. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, obviously, there's still similarities because uh, soccer players and basketball players they both complain after every single call. Uh, yeah, no matter they do. what's no matter what's going on, no matter the sport, um, no matter the situation, um, both exaggerate. Um, and try to sell, try to sell the call, um, and then what boggles my mind is um, they'll stay down as the play continues, um, and I feel like that's not a good strategy if you're if you're the <laughs> soccer player. <laughs> well, so that now especially it, the other team isn't really stopping as much as they used to. So a few years ago, like as soon as somebody went down on the floor the team would stop. The other team that had the ball would just kick it out of bounds and they would stop the play. Now teams are kind of like judging if it's a real, a real injury or if the guy really deserves to be down or not before they stop the play, which is good, you know, because it, it really is a disruption and, and you could stop a counter attack and, and a real uh, goal scoring opportunity because, you know, you want to roll around on the floor holding your ankle and yeah, I, there's, I... there's no room for it. Yeah. I don't like it. I mean, as you, as you can see, I've been watching a, a wealth of soccer as of late, uh, and I'm pretty sure Crystal Palace scored their second goal against Man U, um, or maybe the first goal, one first or second, um, yep. because the Man U player just st- just stayed on the floor uh, on the ground. Um, no, Man U stopped, Crystal Palace didn't stop, and the guy ended up on a breakaway, and he yeah. scored. Yeah, exactly, and that's. It's fair, you know. The guy wasn't hurt. He got back up and he kept playing. That's the that's the funniest thing about it is the guy's rolling around on the floor for five minutes, and then as soon as they get him up and they get him to the sideline, he's yelling at the ref that he wants to come back in the game. If you were that injured, why are you so quick <laughs> to come back in the game? Right? It doesn't make any sense. Unbelievable. But I guess you know. I guess the the way to curb this, obviously, in the NBA, is they've been called. You know. There's suspensions for flopping in in uh, in soccer. There's cards for flopping. So I guess that's the way that's the way to curb it. But yeah, I if you was... if you dive in the box to try to get a penalty, now it's an automatic yellow card. So it's helped a bit. You know, people don't do it as much, but it still happens. You know, that's uh, for well, sure. I'll send the memo to Adam Silver. Uh, <laughs> let some of the so- let some of the soccer referees come to the NBA. Uh, and let me see what happens because I feel like it'll turn into like a, uh, a still cage match. Someone, a referee is going to get thrown into the crowd or something like that. <laughs> uh, if you like what you <laughs> if you like what you hear, you can uh, you can follow us on Twitter at idiot expert pod. Uh, you can fa- follow uh, Claudio Perfetto at C Perfetto eleven. You can follow me at Calchojo five. Um, you can download. You can subscribe. You can rate. You can review on iTunes, uh, Anchor, or Cloud Sports TK. Um, and uh, you can get all that information again in our Twitter hand, uh, our Twitter account at Idiot Expert Pod. Um, so we had a rather exciting weekend um, in Italian soccer on Saturday, um, 
And, and the timing of it actually worked out pretty well because you had the Juventus game first and then Napoli-Roma later on. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about last week of how it's uh, coming down to the wire between Juventus and, and Napoli uh, for the championship. Um, what did you see this weekend, Claudio? I, I know Napoli lost to Rome, and I know Juventus uh, in heroic fashion uh, from Dybala. Again, won one nothing. Um, but uh, you, you immediately sent me a text message saying that Napoli lost, it lost the championship. This was over. Yeah, that goal. Um, so for those that didn't watch the game, the it was crazy. I mean, he just single-handedly won that game for Juventus. He, I'm surprised that he didn't go down and try to get a penalty. I'm, I'm impressed by it, you know, because he probably would have had one. The guy from Lazio was literally pulling his shirt and dragging him down, and he just kept going. And it was um, pure desire to to score that goal, and and he was able to. Um, and I think such a late goal in the game really deflated Napoli before they even played, you know, because they probably were like, okay, they, they taught, they're tying. We can get some breathing room on them. Now, if we go out and beat Roma and then next thing, you know, it's another late one, nothing win from Juventus. So it was probably tough, uh, a tough on the Napoli team and it showed in their performance. Um, I'm not making a huge deal about it because they lost to Roma, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, they did lose four to two, so uh, it wasn't a great scoreline, but it's still Roma. Roma's a really good team and on their day, they could beat anybody. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I, it's still going to come down to that, that game. I'll tell you what, if, if Juventus lost today uh, in the champions league, then Napoli really would have had now, a problem why is that? because it, well, because Juventus is obviously so focused on the Champions League. Um, they want to win it. And now they have to still focus on that in the next round. And there's going to be more games in that competition. Whereas Napoli could just sit and wait till the next Serie A game. Um, and Juventus would have been just so motivated. Obviously, if you if they don't win the Champions League and they get knocked out, their motivation, all of it goes to winning another Scudetto. So it just would have been much tougher. And And... You know, kudos to Napoli because I have to say it's not like they're winning. They're they have a shot here because Juventus is having an off year. Juventus is playing really well. Napoli's only a lot of games. That was their second loss of the year, right, or third loss of the year? Yeah, second or third. Yeah, I think it might have just been their their second. They lost to um, Juventus, Juventus, and now Roma. So um, yeah, so they. Hopefully they can hang on and and at least stay within reach um, for when they play each other on April 22nd. You know, if they go into that game um, with a shot to go ahead or if if they are ahead and they can go even further ahead, they'll have a great chance. Um, But So you're you're maintaining uh, the belief you had last week, and obviously it's furthered even more so this week, um, that no one's beating Juventus until until it's – until you see it, you won't believe it. Yeah, uh, it's it's gonna be tough. I mean, they just they're so strong, man, and they just do they do what they have to do to win games. And it's that Dybala goal. They didn't play well, you know. They they really didn't play well in that game. Uh, they tired Lazio down, and then at the end of the game, once Lazio was tired, they went ahead and tried to score. 
Um, but they really didn't play well. They were very sloppy. Uh, it didn't even look like them, but yeah. they managed the way to win. And Lazio is a very good team. It's not like they they were playing a relegation battler. You know, they were playing Lazio. Yeah. So well, you know, you know just, the the uh, disheartening. The the thought that I've been having is that it's kind of do you remember, you remember that uh, Golden State Oklahoma City uh, matchup from a few years ago where Oklahoma City in the playoffs took a three one lead. Uh, against yeah. Golden State, I, I kind of feel like it's similar in that sense because I, I felt during that Oklahoma City series, and that's when they still had Kevin Durant. I, I felt that they didn't believe that they were actually going to win. They, they, even they were up three one. They didn't believe that they were going to win, and Golden State didn't believe <laughs> that uh, that Oklahoma right. City was going to beat them. And until it, when you go into a matchup like that, and you just you know, the fans didn't believe it. The teams didn't believe it. The players didn't believe it. Um, it was it was shocking because that was the I think that was the seventy three win year. Um, yeah, it was. And, uh, right, and then Durant and then went Durant to went to the Warriors the, 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 the next year. Um, but um, I kind of feel like that's kind of how this thing out. You know, Napoli got off to such a great start and. Um, they look like they were about to run away with it. They were up three, you know, up three, one, so to speak. Um, but because they've, they've never been, they've never been there before. They've never closed it out. Um, and they're leaving the window open for Juventus and, you know, Juventus is going to take advantage of it. Well, he, you know, here's the difference. And this is something I always say. Napoli doesn't have to beat Juventus. You, you know, that's, that's a good that's point. The yeah. One thing they don't, they're not playing Juventus directly every week. And, and they they do have to play them, but you know if they if they're able to get to that game either tied with Juventus or ahead or right behind Juventus, they have to manage to sneak out a win and, and try to take the top spot, and then they don't have to play them anymore. So then they just have to handle their business. And you know they're if they're not the best team in, in Serie A this season, Napoli, they're definitely the second best team. So they should be able to beat whoever's in front of them at that point to, to go ahead and win. So that's the one difference. Um, you know, it's not a series where they have to win four games against Juventus. Cause honestly, uh, you know, if they had to do that, I don't think they could do it. So that's an, that's an interesting totally take. Different. Let me, let me get your opinion on that. Um, would, do you think soccer in general, because I, I, as far as I know, um, no, soccer there's no soccer playoffs uh so to speak um would they benefit from having series like that um at the end of the year like let's just say you know uh, we'll go old school baseball there the you know american league national league two teams win the pennant they end up playing in the in the world series against each other do you think uh a north and south region uh in italy um one winner from each then facing each other in the final uh would would that be better or worse? It's interesting. Uh, it would definitely be different. I think the thing is you kind of get your fix of playoffs with, uh, with the Champions League. Um, so, you know, the top teams are basically playing a playoff against each other in, in the Champions League, and you're getting them from different leagues. So it's, it's kind of similar, similar to that, where the best teams in Italy are playing the best teams in Spain and England and Germany. And, you know, eventually when you get but to the he, knockout he, stages, it, it's a playoff. You know um, what? Even that, though, let me tell you, uh, the Champions League, once they get to the final, it's only one game. 
Yeah. Well, it's like a Super Bowl. You know, it's kind of like that if you think about it, you know, where it's, it's, uh, you know, th- there's a legit final and um, it's a, you have to win one game. That's, that's been Juventus's problem. You know, they've lost that the final so many times um, because, you know, for some reason they can't win that one game. Meanwhile, they're able to beat teams over two legs, but they just can't. Yeah. You know. let, me, let me ask you a question to take us a little bit further off the rails. Um, <laughs> if, Let's just say, let's take it back to two or three years that Juventus was in the final. If it was uh, the leg style, would Juventus have fared better? Uh, against Barcelona, the the first time they played Barcelona and the last time they played Real Madrid, if they had to play them two legs, I th- yeah, I think it, I, I, it probably does. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, because you would think playing a more talented team, you'd have a better shot playing one game. But the thing is, in that one game, you have to go out and you have to beat the team. So, yeah. Um, and that's so like we were saying, is, they have to go out and score a goal. That's the only right. way you're going to win. Exactly. And that team is so focused on that one game, whereas if it's two legs, you know, maybe the focus isn't at the same level for the first leg. And, you know, you're able to sneak in an away goal or something and it completely changes the, the situation going into the second leg. Whereas, like you said, that first game, the, the one game only, you have to go and try to score. I mean, if you don't score, you can't win unless you could hold, you could try to hold on for 0-0 and go to penalty shootout. But then, you know, it's just luck of the draw there. So what benefit is that? You know, so you have to really just go out and try to score. And, and that that definitely has hurt them against Real Madrid and, and Barcelona. All right. Uh, don't want to take up any more uh, of your time with crazy ideas. Um, so, <laughs> so let's do, let's do something that we know you're extremely interested in uh, game tomorrow. And probably by the time people are downloading it, this game might actually be over, or at least the first leg of the game will be over uh, AC Milan uh, versus Arsenal in the Europa. Um, obviously uh, Claudio is a huge AC Milan fan. Um, and uh, has been very, very happy with the performance of AC Milan as of late. Uh, what are you expecting in this matchup? And are you happy at this point, or do they, do they need to move forward? No, they need to move forward. The teams, you know, Milan and Arsenal, they couldn't be coming in in more opposite form. You know, Arsenal has been really bad uh, lately. They've lost, I think, five or six games. Um, and Milan has been unbeaten in 13 games. So they're just, like, going in total opposite direction. Uh, but it's still, you know, you're playing a team from a different league. Arsenal still has very good players. So you don't know, you know, what could happen. And a lot of Milan's players haven't played in Europe uh, in – few years whereas you know Arsenal has played in the Champions League and and the Europa League in the past few seasons so uh, they're definitely more experienced in that area Um, but it's going to be a good game and I think Milan you know their goal is to get into the Champions League next year which the way they can do it is by finishing in the top four in Italy or by winning the Europa League Um, and at this point even though they've been playing much better in Italy and they're closing the gap, they're still like a long ways behind. Um, so their best shot might be by winning this competition. And if they could get Arsenal out of the way, because the Arsenal so, one of the stronger teams, let's ba- let's so back they up would a have a good shot. Because you mentioned yep. something that, um, that I didn't know and I'm pretty sure a novice fan wouldn't know. Um, the winner of the Europa gets an automatic 
bid in the Champions League? Yes. So Manchester United, for example, they're in the Champions League this season. Um, They did not finish in the top four in England. They got there because they won the Europa League last season. So the Europa League winner gets an automatic berth into the Champions League group stage. Gotcha. So, so England England right now had, well, they, in the beginning of the tournament, they had five Champions League teams. They had five teams, yes. They had four that qualified through the top four spots, and then the fifth team, Manchester United, qualified through the Europa League. Gotcha. Okay. So, that, you know, it's interesting to know, and that's a uh, a – little tidbit that makes a lot more sense. Are there any, any other automatic bids other than winning uh, your uh, or being in the top, the top places of, uh, of your leagues? Well, the Champions League winner gets an automatic berth into the next season, but it's very rare that the, um, that the winner of the Champions League uh, doesn't qualify Return. through, through the top four in their league. You know, it's that, it has happened. I think it happened to Milan uh, in 2007, actually. Did it happen to Leicester City? Uh, well, no, because they um, – so they finished number one in England, and then they made the – Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I messed that one up. Yeah, yeah. They, they, didn't, they didn't win the Champions League. They won the Premier no, they League. I got cha- you. They did well in the Champions League. I mean, I don't want to go off a tangent, but they did do well in the Champions League that one year that they were in it. They, I think they got to the quarterfinals, which is impressive. But, yeah, um, yeah they did not qualify. Well, we're talking about Arsenal, and one of the interesting things about Arsenal is that their owner – uh, also owns an NFL football team. Uh, so for the United States fans, uh, they can kind of relate to this. Uh, Stan Kroenke yes. uh, owns uh, both the Rams, where are now the, uh, the LA Rams, uh, and Arsenal. Um, so when we were tossing this around before the show, uh, we kind of stumbled upon the idea that Stan Kroenke has a problem with, uh, with pulling, the, pulling the, the trigger and getting rid of his coaches. Yeah. Um, he kept Jeff Fisher around uh, way too long. I mean, how many 12, uh, how many eight, eight years uh, can you possibly have? Uh, and now uh, Wagner uh, seems to have been uh, holding on to his job for a little bit longer uh, than a lot of people would have anticipated. Yeah, he's been there for a long time. And uh, uh, it's a great point. You know, Wenger, when he was... When he first got there, he had them competing for the cha- for the Premier League Championship, which they won, um, you know, a few times. And they've been progressively getting worse. You know, they they went from competing for the the championship to you know to making the Champions League spots, and now like they're not even in the Champions League spots. And to put it in perspective, um, in the soccer world, there is a and especially in the Premier League there is a very, very short leash on, on the coaches. Um, like, so Zidane, who coaches Real Madrid, he won back-to-back Champions Leagues with Real Madrid. And this season, there's talk of him getting fired because they're not doing well in, in the Spanish League. They almost, you know, if they get bounced from the, the Champions League, their season will pretty much be a lost season. So... This talk of him getting fired. Meanwhile, so there's no I mean, room for could, error for these coaches. Could you imagine? Uh, can you imagine Steve Kerr getting fired at this point for having a decent season? Like, of course, you're going to give him another shot. I mean, after all he's accomplished, aren't you? So well, let me just, let me let me phrase the question this way: 
do do so, do soccer owners and management not uh, put a ton of stock in head coach and, and, and managers? Is that do they just feel like anyone can can go out there and, and as long as they have the talent, they will win? I think um, so. To answer that, I don't think they. It's that they don't put a lot of stock in the managers. I just feel like um, they think that the team could really use a boost. The team gets a big boost when the manager changes. It's just, it's the craziest thing. I don't know why they feel that, but it, it works sometimes, you know, um, Chelsea, uh, a few seasons ago, it's, it's a while ago now, but, um, you know, they fired their manager in the middle of the season. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo took over and he went on to win the champions league. Well, that same season, uh, Zidane in his first season, you know, he took over for uh, Rafa Benitez, who got fired in the middle of the uh, season, and he went on to win the Champions League. So it's like, so it's crazy. They feel like if they make that change, maybe the team gets a little bit of a boost. Would you say that it's more like that the firings in the middle of the season happen much more in soccer than in, uh, you know, United States sports? Yeah, hundred percent. There's just so much at stake um, because teams need to, you know, in, in in the United States sports, you're playing for a championship, so or you're playing to make the playoffs. But if you don't win the championship and if you don't make the playoffs, there's no like terrible ramification for it because you're still getting your TV money. That's a good you're, point. Yeah, you're still getting. You know the the ticket money and all that stuff. Whereas in soccer, if you don't make the Champions League and and you should, you're losing out on so much revenue for that next season. You know, if you get relegated, you know, to the second division, you're losing out on a ton of of revenue, and it's so hard to get back. So it's just there's, the ramifications are so much uh, higher that teams don't want to risk it. You know, if the team isn't heading in the right direction, there's a very short leash. So all of this, really, when you put into perspective what's going on with Arsenal, it's just, it's crazy that he won't, he doesn't fire the manager, but it's because he's an American owner. He has he's, a different mentality. Yeah, exactly, he, wants to make, yeah. he wants to make money. So that's why he never fired Jeff Fisher because, you know what, the eight and eight season was making him money. And, and he probably was like, I don't want to make this worse. You know, I, I just want to keep making my money. And it's the well, same let's, thing. Let's keep in mind that Jeff Fisher, uh, when he was with the Rams, um, he had a little bit of an allure to him that he was a very good football coach. Uh, he yeah. made the Super Bowl with the Titans. Yep. Um, and, you know, he had produced uh, previously. Um, so I think Cranky was just wait, waiting for, for the, the Fisher magic uh, to finally take over. Would that be a similar situation here? Um, did, does uh, Wagner have a, uh, a historic past and, and Cranky's just waiting again for, uh, for, for, you know, finally it to come up to fruition? No, I think it's more. I mean, he, he, you know, what you're getting in him. He's, he's one. He's, he's a good, very good manager. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he wants to risk it being worse. You know, I think he knows in uh, Arsene Wenger, he is getting somebody who could get them into the top four, who you know could make that, who keeps them competitive, who fills up seats because the team is competitive, but that's all going to change very soon because the fans have had it. You know, the Arsenal 
they should be competing for the Premier League trophy with Manchester City and Manchester United and Chelsea. And they just, they haven't been doing it in years. And they spend money. You know, they have the money to buy players. So the fans are fed up. They they don't want to watch this any longer. So it'd be pretty funny if he hired uh, Jeff Fisher to be the coach, though. The manager, yeah, I rather. Wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, he might. He might do that. <laughs> All right. If you again, if you like what you hear, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Idiot Expert Pod, uh, and our information is in the bio. Uh, obviously, please subscribe, please rate, please review, uh, download all that, all that good stuff. Uh, we're on iTunes, we're on Anchor, and we're on Cloud Sports TK. Uh, last topic, and we don't want to you know, make this go too long because I'm sure your commute is probably coming to end real quick. Um, MLS is back. How about that? Um, so, yes. Uh, the, the MLS season has uh, just started uh, for the American soccer fan. Um, and, uh, what we wanted to talk about was something that Alexi Wallace was getting into. There's this debate, um, amongst, uh, American soccer fans. Um, currently there are restrictions, uh, for how many international players are allowed to be, um, I believe in the league, um, at one certain point or on a team at a certain point. Um, and the idea is to try to, uh, to grow the domestic players, uh, in an effort uh, for the uh, U.S. men's national team to improve and for the sport of soccer to improve uh, with American players. Obviously, that didn't really pay off that much uh, with them not making uh, the upcoming World Cup in Russia. Um, but, Claudio, um, does this debate have any merit? It's really interesting because Italy obviously didn't make the World Cup either. And there's a similar debate going on in Italy because the number of foreign players in uh, Serie A has increased so hot, so much that people think, um, you know, the, that's the reason why Italy's not producing as many top players anymore. But to that, and for the MLS as well, I would say that wouldn't you want the best players in the world, regardless of where they are, they're from, playing in your league to me if you have the best players in the world playing in your league that's going to make it so much harder for italians or americans to make it uh into the league themselves so they're going to have to they're going to have to uh perform at a very high level which that stems from the youth system you know because the development of the players has to be up to task that's the reason why the the players aren't performing well it's well, not because you know of international players you know but besides besides the point you're making about the development of the players and whatnot the Serie A uh, the Premier League and notice how I didn't say Premiership um yep. good job the, uh La Liga uh the Bundesliga um all of those leagues are prominent leagues they have a history behind them right what history does the MLS have um they at some point, you need to raise the level of, uh, of the uh, entertainment. Um, and the way that you do that is you just bring in the best players in the world. Um, and if that, if that player is uh, a non-American, if they are, are from Argentina or Brazil or Italy or, uh, or Germany, uh, what difference does that make? Um, right. You know, and it's very it, hard to do at this point because – so the way the MLS works, there's a salary cap. Um, and it's a very small salary cap. And 
the teams could could sign. I think it's two designated players. They're called outside of the salary cap, which is basically you could sign two people to any salary, and um, but the rest of the team has to stay underneath the salary cap. So, for example, NYCFC, like they were paying David Villa and Pirlo as their designated player, and then you know they only had four million dollars or whatever the salary cap is to put a team around those guys. So yeah, that's, a, that's really a great uh, system in play. I'm sure, I'm sure the players love that. Yeah. The other players. It, you know, ima- right. I mean, could you imagine that uh, you're playing, you're playing for, you know, whatever the, the minimum salary is now 50 or $60,000 a year. And you have a, a player on your team that's 38 years old from another country uh, making, you know, $6 million, you know, it's just, it's a, it's doesn't work to me. It doesn't work. So a lot of teams, what they're doing now in the MLS is they're actually developing younger players, but you know, they're taking younger players from all over the world, not just the United States. So, well, you know, America needs to get away from, uh, the idea of taking these players when they're past the prime and getting the players when they're during their prime. I mean, uh, you know, Ichiro came here to play baseball. Well, that's probably not the best uh, best example because he came a little bit later in his career. But like a Masahiro, everybody does. Uh, a Masahiro Tanaka uh, came here in the prime of his career to play American baseball. Um, right. That type of concept uh, needs to be translated in, in American soccer. They need to be getting the Neymars and the, I, uh, the Messies of the world. I'll say it's it's harder in soccer because I, I will say that because the top leagues are already established and they're outside of the United States. You know, if, if the Japanese league in baseball was the best league in the world, you know, those guys wouldn't come to play in the United States. So it's that's part of the reason why. But the United States has a lot to offer. So they yeah, could, and, and you know what? At the end of the day, if you overpay, uh, yes. you'll tend you'll tend to get the players. Right. They all have new state. You know, the MLS teams are all getting new stadiums. They're getting really nice new soccer specific stadiums. I've gone to a bunch of MLS games. Uh, you know, the atmosphere is great. I mean, you're living in the United States. You know, some of these cities are great cities to live in. Uh, if you could just match the wages and, you know, make it a situation where the best players in the world are coming here and they're you know, all playing against each other and making the MLS the best league in the world. It, you know, that's that's probably the best way to do it. Or, how, you know, you have to decide to make it like a developmental league for, you know, for younger players, which is fine too. I mean, a lot of leagues in Europe are like that. You know, the Dutch league, they can't compete at the Champions League level anymore, but they have, you know, Ajax in particular is a very good team at developing younger players. So that's what they're known for. So, you know, the MLS has to make a distinction of what exactly it wants to be. Listen, and, you know, I'll say this, try try to be as succinct as possible with this. Uh, The MLS is about to reach a 10 to 20 year window um, where it needs to improve its, its infrastructure Um, because the NFL um, its days are numbered. Uh, And the reason why I'm saying that is, because you need to increase your wages to try to get the young athlete to play soccer rather than playing football. Right. Um, we have excellent, excellent athletes in the United States. You know, 
the best in the world. Um, now, if they decide to go play uh, basketball and football, soccer obviously loses on, loses out on them. Or if they go to play baseball or, or whatnot, um, the only way to entice the American athlete to play those sports is by raising the wage. Exactly, and the other issue is, you know, I've read uh, Christian Pulisic's um, article on the Players' Tribune right after the United States didn't make the World Cup. And, you know, a great point that he made is that, you know, he went to Germany to Borussia Dortmund to take his career and his talent to the next level. And that's because the youth infrastructure is set up so much better in those countries than it is here that American players want to go there to develop because they'll develop better there. And he was even saying that the problem with that is he physically couldn't go to Germany until a certain age. I don't forget if it was 16 or 18, but you know, the, the system in the United States doesn't even allow players to go. So until they reach a certain age. So, if you're not providing the infrastructure here and then you're stopping these players from going to other countries where the infrastructure is, how could you ever expect the United States men's national team to be at the level of these other countries? It's just, you know, and look, I'm not saying that the United States men's national team is going to be good as good as Argentina or Brazil these days, but they didn't get out of a group of you know trinidad and tobago jamaica i mean these are teams that these are small countries small islands that i don't think they have better youth infrastructure than we do so you know part of it is on the players and the coaches it's, a, it's an embarrassment it's an embarrassment and the fact that uh that american soccer is not owning up to it being an embarrassment it says says volumes about uh this the state of american soccer exactly uh, so you know you're never you're never going to improve until you raise the bar Right. You can't uh, and you can't do that by limiting the number of foreign players in your league. You, you know, you just can't. You have to do that by making your youth system compatible to the best youth systems around the world. And then your players are going to become so much better that you won't even care how many international players are coming into your league because your players will still be the best ones in, in the league. That that's, you know, that's obviously how I feel about it. So Nice thoughts uh, from from Claudio as we, as we, we wrap up here. Uh, thank you for being part of episode two of an idiot and an expert podcast. Uh, again, if you liked what you heard, uh, follow Claudio Perfetto at C Perfetto 11, uh, follow myself at Calcho Joe. Um, and most importantly, follow our uh, podcast at idiot expert pod. Um, please download uh, rate, review, subscribe, all those good things on iTunes. That information is in the bio. Um, also, you can find us on Anchor or cloudsports.tk. Uh, Claudio, any closing thoughts? Yeah, so follow us um, today on Twitter. We got a great question about the away goals and how that worked during the Juventus Tottenham match. So follow us on uh, Twitter at Idiot Expert Pod, as Joe said, and uh, send your questions away. Don't be embarrassed if um, yeah, you absolutely. have a question, you could slide it right into our DMs and you know we could bring it up on the podcast or answer you there. So don't be embarrassed. Send them away. Absolutely. Wise words uh, from Claudio as usual. Uh, and, uh, you know, and on that note, uh, we will see you guys next week.